All right, welcome back to our live podcast here at the Apartment Academy here at Apartmentalize 2022. Uh, we brought along David Friedman, Friedman Realty Group, um, uh, to talk a little bit about uh, their company. You, you guys are developers. No, well, you're you're sorry, you're owner operators, not Correct. developers. Correct. You're, you're typically acquiring assets already built. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Usually 1960s, 70s uh, suburban garden style. Got it. And what, just generally speaking, David, what are you hoping, like when you go to this show, for those that, that maybe have never been here before, what are you kind of hoping to see? What are you looking for today? Well, you know, sometimes we can all get caught up in our, our day-to-day and our routines and be very insular with our thinking and, you know, kind of head down, not really looking outward at what's what's coming or what's out there. So for me, personally, I started coming to this six or seven years ago, and it was something I found was really reinvigorating, you know, giving meaning and purpose to a larger industry and, you know, who we serve, what we serve. And there's a lot of learning. The education's great. You get to see... Uh, you know, it's like a, a local state association on steroids. Everyone brings yeah. out their best, absolute best. So it's really fun and exciting to see all that. Yeah. Um, from a technology standpoint, this, this, I think this has always been the place to see uh, the cutting edge of what, you know, what operators might be adopting in the coming years. Um, is there anything like that you're looking for when you're here? Absolutely. So usually when I come out here, uh, you know, very open-minded, but try to have a couple of intentions and purpose for, for the visit. This year, a lot of what I'm focusing on and uh, looking into is AI leasing and technology. And I would say a year or two years ago, you know, maybe it's on the radar, but it's not uh, where it is today. And there are so many people in the space, and it's you know it's easy to you know kind of get lost in um, you know just what everybody offers. So just trying to learn what it is because it sounds like it's a way of a future. Yeah, I agree. I think that was it was a technology that, as you said, still isn't mature, mm-hmm. but really came into its own during COVID. Like the idea that we didn't necessarily need somebody there at the property to like take a tour and be and and successfully lease a property and that 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 notion that we had that we always needed people at the property seems to have been dispelled a little bit and that's kind of where AI coming is coming in no yeah and you hear a lot about how it's difficult to find good people for help right. and how site teams have been more challenged with more on their plate and look you know residents it's it's tough for them as well so you know really when we look at it you know I think we do a nice job with our operations so for us Specifically, when we look at or consider AI, it's not necessarily what kind of NOI or revenue boost are we going to get. It's how can we give you know a more precious resource, time, back to our staff so they can focus on higher value things. So that, that's the promise, and that's hopefully what we can kick some tires on. Uh, one of the things we'll do out here. This morning, we had Christy Fickard on from Reallink, who was talking about um, you know th- this notion of being able to through remote leasing to be able to um, have better resources spread across more properties so you could do better leasing in more consistently and pay them more because oh in 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 bulk you have fewer leasing agents uh, but they're doing a better job and you can pay them better as a result sure and you're a little bit you're what you're talking about like centralized leasing yeah yeah so I've, I've heard people talk about it that's not something that I've really looked at for us um, I don't know if we necessarily have the the scale or even maybe the right properties for that, um, but certainly you know that's 
a lot of what I've heard with how difficult it is to, to find talent. Yeah. So, so mark the marketing landscape, the leasing landscape has certainly changed in the last couple of years. But as an acquirer, an operator, um, just talk a little bit about how the the uh, the acquisition market has changed during that time. So, pre-COVID, during COVID, post-COVID, um, how, what's happened to deal flow for you? So, you know, certainly over the last 10 years, it's been pretty much a, a nice bull run for, for the industry. And the last acquisition we made was at the you know, very end of 2020, pretty much um, like a day or two from turn of 2021 in the middle of COVID. And uh, that's, you know, a little over 300 units in Philadelphia suburbs. And, you know, at that time when we bought it, it was, uh, I would say, 60% occupied very heavy value add lift of probably $70,000 or more per unit that we were going to do. And even at that much capital that needed to, to go into it and that level of uh, lift for the operations, still pay full price at that point. Uh, you know, when we're looking at our underwriting, you know, there's no, you know, there's no cap rate to consider because that's, you know, at that, it doesn't make sense. Um, and I feel like the market's just gotten a little more nonsensical since that point. It's gotten I, worse. Uh, I, I've seen stuff um, you know, listed that they're great properties in great areas. They check the boxes of exactly what we would want, kick the tires on some of the underwriting, and you know, can't make anything make sense. And you know, talking to some people and trying to understand how are people making these work. I've run these numbers. And you know, I'm, not, I'm not really sure what they're doing. Maybe they're uh, you know, hoping and praying on some pro formas. Um, you know, we'll see with interest rates going up what's going to happen over the next couple of years, especially with some people who might have, uh, you know, short-term or floating rate debt that's going to mature. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, so I did some time with a developer in Los Angeles, and we used to always get nervous anytime we won a deal because it's like, what mistake did we make in underwriting? Because anything that was properly underwritten never seemed to really pencil as an investment. Yeah, I always have a, a mini moment of panic after our offers get accepted because we are the guys that are paying the highest price for this property. Yeah. That's right. So are you able, like, what does your crystal ball tell you about pro forma rents for the next, you know, two years or three years? It, by the way, do you have a typical holding period or these long-term holds? It'll depend. You know, my dad, uh, who's out here in the audience, you know, he has a joke. He doesn't get buyer's remorse. He gets seller's remorse. So, you know, these are, as a family, usually generational for us. Um, certainly there are properties that will sell, but, you know, he's had his oldest property longer than he's had me. And there's sometimes properties where, you know, we feel it's the right time to let it go. So it, it'll really depend. Uh, okay, so you're not operating under the, the same pressure that some REITs might operate under that are like three to five year hold period and they've got to churn the property. Absolutely not. For yep. us, in the way we operate our business and execute on our plan, you know, we see a lot more benefit to a longer term horizon. And certainly that doesn't meet with everyone's expectations, uh, but that's, that's how we found we've been most successful. Well, let's talk about that for a little bit because, um, uh, not to get too technical with folks, but, but properties that are acquired on a on, on an ROI basis, um, not not cash on cash return basis, often incorporate the exit yes. uh, and the the accretive value of the, the asset itself. In a longer term hold, you're really just talking about your your return is really just a cash on cash return. Is that 
Is that well, correctly think about it? We'll look both. We'll look at both components, and really, even if we have a longer horizon than a, you know a seven-year or ten-year model, because most of the time when we put debt on a property, it'll be a seven or ten. Especially with historically low interest rates recently, you really want to lock those in. Uh, but you know, just to understand if it's a good investment, you know, we'll look at the cash on cash. But at the same time, we're also considering a terminal value because you know we want to look at the whole thing holistically. So we will try and figure out what is a you know that accreted value uh, as well on top of the cash on cash. Got it. And and uh, what's an acceptable what's an acceptable return in the interim prior to considering terminal value? Prior to considering terminal yeah, value, without considering terminal value, like what would you, what would be your expected? Let's talk about keep using the terms cash on cash okay. return until you, you sell the asset. Uh, so I would say it, it'll depend on, uh, call it the risk profile of the property, but somewhere between seven and nine percent is usual for us. Uh, I would say usual. This is an unusual market, so I've heard a lot about for people to make deals work. Uh, you really have to compress that. So, uh, haven't really gotten comfortable with where that number is these days, which is why it's been a little over a year since our last acquisition. Yeah, seven to nine percent is that in, in your model generally highly leveraged, almost no way well, you said seven to ten year uh, loans. So those are pretty short term loans. Yeah, so we're we're doing pretty traditional financing when we do this stuff. We're, you know, we're not necessarily doing anything that's. Uh, you know, groundbreaking. So leverage points for us are usually 75, 80% loan to value. Okay, so typical. So is that is that an ease, like can you find those deals these days? It's really challenging. You know, people are really paying up for properties. You know, rent increases have been, you know, really, really high. Uh, certainly that comes with raising, uh, rising costs on the expense side, but it's how long can you underwrite, you know, 6% plus rent growth When's the music going to stop? I don't know. So that's a hard thing when you're looking at these deals of how high can I really push them. Yeah, yeah. That brings me back to my, my question I interrupted myself, which was your crystal ball. If, if, you, if, you, if you can't underwrite based on today's economics on a return because it just doesn't pencil, what can, you, what can you get comfortable with in terms of rent growth underwriting to, to get a deal to pencil? And, and you're saying traditionally it's been about 6%. Well, I would say traditionally, it, so for us, we're looking at value add. So we're putting money in, right. we're doing things that focus on uh, kitchens, bathrooms, but also trying to find ways to have energy efficiency. So if there's a boiler system, doing some uh, high efficiency boilers, energy controls, et cetera, and obviously better and more efficient operation in addition. Um, three to 4% is more of a stabilized after you do your value add, after the lift, and yeah. it, you know the value add is really going to depend on the market. What is the current operator doing with their asset as far as rents? If you put your money into it, how high can you go? What is the market bear? And uh, that you know, right now, first year, two years, you can go six percent plus depending on what it is. But how long? In your value add. Um, uh, plan in your value add, like your capital expenditure plan. Are you doing anything differently now um, when you think about adding value to property that you that is accommodating 
kind of the lifestyle changes that we're seeing now in multifamily since COVID. Like we, Kate Good was here talking about the digital nomad lifestyle. Is that playing into your capital plan now? Certainly a little bit. I mean, the way we operate and, and the strategically what we tend to buy are uh, you know, class B apartments, uh, very much workforce housing. Usually our apartments don't have much by way of amenities. Uh, you know, they're not class A luxury. Uh, at the same time, we do have some properties that have that, but we are more so looking for uh, amenities, services for people to make their lives easier. You know, we've done stuff door-to-door trash removal. Uh, you know, we're trying to find ways to add, you know, outdoor space with playgrounds, dog parks. You know, very traditional on one hand, but on the other, we've seen a, a huge demand and spike for those kinds of amenities and a lot of appreciation from residents when those, as simple as they sound, uh, when they're there and available. What about services that really um, are focused on resident engagement, like getting people to, uh, you know, get together socially or, you know, coupons to the local restaurants and that sort of thing? Is that is that... People said millennials care more about that now. Have you found that to be true? I think people like the community and the engagement. Uh, certainly like the rest of the industry, a lot of our properties took a little hiatus from pulling people together. I would say this year is really the first year since 2020 uh, that we're kind of getting back into that swing with bringing people together. So one of our larger properties, you know, we have ice cream truck and ice cream social for the residents. That's fun. Uh, they love it. They really love it. Um, and it's great. It's a beautiful property. Uh, big big huge pool right out in the front so uh, it's an event that they always look forward to so it uh, on balance hard time to get into multifamily investing or is there any part of this is there any silver lining to this time heals all wounds so if you have a long horizon you know who knows we don't have a we don't have a crystal ball but uh, you know, if you're able to get into it, still be smart and, and careful. But look, at the end of the day, uh, you know, you're going to have to take some shots. Uh, but if you have a good business plan, you have a, an asset, you hear location, 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 uh, should do well. And you guys are, Freeman's generally focused in the Northeast, yeah? Right now, our portfolio is greater Philadelphia, all suburban, but certainly uh, open-minded and having conversations with uh, brokers and, and people for trying to step out a little bit from our current geography. Any markets that you, that for the audience listening, any markets that you've, you're paying attention to, maybe you've not invested there, but you just feel that they, the economics there will be favorable for investing in multifamily? Usually outside of our general region, I'm not as uh, in tune just because, uh, you know, I don't, at least right now we're where we are in our company, I'm not really interested in getting on a plane, let's say. Um, me personally, you know, I like the idea of going maybe a little more south, less snow removal to deal with and ice and whatnot. But uh, Maryland is of interest, Virginia is of interest, and where, where I am, a lot of real estate is controlled by families and there's not a lot of transactions. So the opportunities for purchasing are a little more scarce, whereas you know some of those locations in Maryland, Virginia tend to be institutional ownership. So it's a very transactional market. Certainly you have to pay attention for anything that you go in and buy, um, but that's where I'm hoping to look. And our, 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 uh, for syndicators, right now, 
Is it a more difficult time to find investors who will participate in syndicated deals, or is that as strong as it's ever been? People always are in search of a good of a good investment. I hear a lot of different feedback. There are people who uh, who will invest with us. Um, they've been with us for years. They know what we do. Uh, we've produced strong returns. So if we tell them, they don't ask a single question. They just say, "How much?" And you know there are others where if I talk to, um, you know they would be used to for years and years and years earning a certain return. So if there's been compression in the industry for the investment, there's certainly some socializing that has to be done to get them comfortable with, you know maybe what be would be an evolving market. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot more uncertainty now about um, like rent growth and all that than it probably ever has been. Uh, well, David, I'll, I'll let you get back to the show. I thank you for sharing with the, with the audience some of your insights about uh, investing in multifamily. It's been really insightful. Thank you. I appreciate, appreciate that. Appreciate yeah. your time as well. Yeah, great seeing you.